the Department of Energy's Joint Genome Institute. Kind of, it, it took the resources from JGI to make this possible. Innovation in the field of genomics. How living things transform our world. world, world. Hey, I'm Allison Takamura, and this is Genome Insider, a podcast of the U.S. Department of Energy Joint Genome Institute, or JGI. Let me take you back to a workshop in Boston. Like any good scientific meeting, it was a thought-provoking surprise for this scientist. Let me introduce you. I'm Xiao Yang from Oak Ridge National Lab, one of the national labs funded by DOE. Usually, Xiao Han is researching away in the national lab in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. But before the pandemic kept him at home, he was out in Boston for this scientific workshop. It had brought together scientists, business leaders, and policy experts to talk about addressing that huge existential problem that we wish were already solved, the climate crisis. The workshop had the likes of high-ranking and retired officials from the DOE Office of Science, business people, not to mention all the other scientists. A quick rundown. Biologist George Church from Harvard, biochemical engineer Crystalla Prather from MIT, who is also a JGI collaborator, soil scientist Keith Paustian from Colorado State University in Fort Collins, plant ecologist Stan Walschliger from Oak Ridge National Lab, and atmospheric scientist Susan Solomon from MIT. She's famous for helping discover the chemical culprit responsible for the last global climate crisis, the ozone hole. So this was a pretty special workshop. And as Zhao Han puts it, That's the only workshop different from other like a scientific focus workshop. It was different because it was so applied. It was unabashedly about using science to reduce greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Those gases are overheating the earth like an oppressive wool blanket. Now, of course, Zhao Han is concerned about that. But he usually thinks about research taking a lot of time and progressing incrementally. But there were policy experts at the conference who told Zhao Han something different. They said we have different perspective. I don't worry about your details, technical details, right? But just tell me, can this solve the problem in the real world, not just in the lab, mm-hmm. in the greenhouse, right? No matter your science or nature publications. So we needed that because they needed to put it into their policy. I want to underscore what Zhao Han just said. Publications, even if they're in rockstar journals like Science and Nature, are not the end goal. What we want are breakthroughs that work outside the lab and can be used to cut greenhouse gases on a global scale. That's why Zhao Han was at that Boston conference. His work is on biology-based climate change solutions. Zhao Han works on designing plants to grow faster in poorer conditions so that they can be used for biofuels or as a way to soak up more of the greenhouse gas carbon dioxide. To give you a little historical perspective, before industrialization, when society began to rapidly consume fossil fuels, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere was just 280 parts per million. But now, that number has ballooned dangerously by more than 40% to 412 parts per million. 
Xiaohan wants to design plants to help alleviate this buildup of atmospheric carbon. We need to customize the crops. We need more design in mind because the plants evolve not for the human. There's maybe one or two traits good for human, but not necessarily really serving our purposes. The way Xiaohan sees it, even artificial selection isn't enough to optimize plants in some of the ways that people care about, like addressing climate change. One focus of Xiaohan's research is genome editing. They use uh, the current technology to accelerate the domestication of bioenergy crops. For example, let's start with agave. These plants often have spear-like, succulent leaves, and they thrive in the desert. Agave is a genus that gives us sweet agave nectar, rope fibers, and tequila. Agave uses crassulation acid metabolism, that's CAM, or C-A-M, photosynthesis. When the environment is hot and dry, CAM photosynthesis is way more water-efficient than the more common C3 photosynthesis. Xiaohan and his Oak Ridge colleagues worked with the JGI to identify the genes involved in CAM pathways. And they asked, can we take a gene that's crucial for CAM's efficiency and transfer it to a different plant? The answer turned out to be, yes, indeed. We engineered one gene from agave, there's a desert plant, into tobacco, there's a C3 plants, very similar to poplar and other like major crops. The tobacco plant might sound like an odd choice. I know it was to me when I first heard it. But it's an easy-to-transform model system. So engineering the agave gene into tobacco is a stepping stone toward putting the gene into poplar trees. JGI loves the poplar tree. It's a JGI flagship plant, and it's a potential biofuel feedstock that's central to DOE's bioenergy strategy. Okay, so getting back to that CAM photosynthesis gene, taken from agave and plopped into tobacco. Well, it turned out to be helpful in lots of ways. So they increased both drought tolerance and soil tolerance, and they also increased the biomass yield. So not only increase the growth above ground, and also can increase the biomass below ground. That may be good for carbon sequestration to address the climate change. In a second project, Xiaohan's team tried transferring another agave gene directly into poplar. But unlike that first gene, this was a mystery gene. They didn't know what its function was. But when they put it in poplar, the plants suddenly had a new ability. To a surprise or found recently, they can delay dormancy. So that means they can extend the growth period. That could be useful for poplar, which goes dormant when the number of daylight hours falls in the winter. For climate change, it's getting warmer and warmer, but daylight is not going to change, right? If we uh, utilize this new knowledge and grow in like uh, in Florida, they can grow longer before they go into dormant. Consequently, they will increase the biomass. So it's kind of a new discovery. We gain the knowledge from outside of the, our target species, from uh, the plants that normally grow in desert. 
building out their insights with single genes, Xiaohan and his team are now combining multiple genes into a genetic circuit. This approach has two functional elements. One, the coding genes that carry out biological functions. And two, the regulatory elements, which ensure that the genes get expressed at the right time in the right location. So right location, I mean, is like folks' genes expression in the leaf tissue not affect other tissues. That means that this approach could help minimize concerns about genetically modified crops. The introduced gene wouldn't get expressed in something you'd eat, like fruit, for example. Now, Xiaohan and his team are getting some positive results that open up new possibilities for where their synthetic plants could grow. We have some preliminary data showing the potential so increased growth and increased water use efficiency. And also we have the technology to increase tolerance to drought and the soil stress. So then we can expand the growing area, like the marginal lands. But that's not all Xiaohan is up to. He's thinking about something even bigger, designing a plant by selecting each gene in its genome. Why? because no plant comes with everything that you might want. For example, with food plants. No single source of vegetables or fruits will meet our nutritional requirements. Vitamins or calcium, other like nutrient elements, right? Non-food crops are the same. The poplar tree grows fast, which makes it great for biofuel. But then their lignin content is not optimized for biofuel conversion, right? Lignin is a carbon-based compound that's really hard to break down. Thus, it's hard to use for biofuel. But lignin does make for an appealing way to sequester carbon, because microbes have a harder time eating lignin. So Xiaohan is thinking, let's engineer some strains of poplar to have less lignin so they can be better biofuel feedstocks. And... Let's engineer other strains of poplar to produce more lignin so that they can better lock away carbon. Xiaohan thinks that's totally feasible, as long as we can meet the needs of the plant. The poplar have to be happy themselves in the local environment, right? Then can serve the purpose as a feedstock for bioenergy or for the benefit of ecosystem service to reduce CO2 in the atmosphere. Xiaohan thinks that plant scientists will be more effective at achieving these kinds of goals when writing a plant genome becomes possible. All right, so that might take decades to achieve, but Xiaohan doesn't think it's too out there. I mean, humans did come up with something as complex yet functional as the iPhone, didn't we? Xiaohan thinks plants. It should be equivalent or more complex than iPhone. My dream, I'm not sure my career can achieve that, is really design something just like an iPhone, iPhone-like plants, to really customize the plants for the benefit of human society. Xiaohan has a vision. He sees some plants being designed for medicine and nutrition, and other plants being designed for biomaterials, carbon fixation, and ecosystem services. 
Maybe they'll be designed to have extensive roots that prevent erosion or provide food for symbiotic microbes. To start, Xiaohan aims to create a genetically minimal plant. To give you a sense of scale, humans have an estimated 20,000 protein-coding genes. Plants? They can have a whopping 30,000 protein-coding genes. Do you think that all of the 30,000 genes are necessary? Maybe not, right? For example, in the more efficient CAM version of photosynthesis, one gene in the pathway has five copies, and only one of those is highly expressed. But then we'll have a second copy, much lower expression. They may have some function there, right? To the other three copies, no expression. So what's the, the function of those three copies? Why we need that? Xiaohan thinks you might be able to get by with just the one highly expressed gene copy in a minimal plant. To that end, let's look at Arabidopsis thaliana, a demure flowering plant that researchers love to use as a model system. Let's guess 5,000 genes is essential for Arabidopsis. Xiaohan hopes to use genome synthesis technology to put those 5,000 genes together in a single chromosome, right? Okay, okay, so that's not going to happen tomorrow. It's very challenging. But, and bear with me as we get a little nerdier about it, genome writing feels possible to Xiaohan because of advances in using synthetic biology CRISPR-Cas9 technology for gene editing. This technology is so incredible, its discovery just earned a Nobel Prize. So the Cas9 enzyme makes gene editing much easier than it was even a decade ago. And now scientists have developed so-called second-generation genome editing technology. They can take the original gene editing enzyme, Cas9, and modify it. For example, scientists can hitch Cas9 to a second enzyme, like reverse transcriptase. The big advantage for second-generation genome editing is significantly reduce the rates of, of target mutations. I think technology is evolving. The technology will be more and more precise. So we've gotten a glimpse of the nanoscale, genome writing for plants. Now, let's zoom out. A few years ago, an article in Science Magazine showed that just allowing trees to regrow across ecosystems could have a huge impact on mitigating climate change. Xiaohan and his team are now starting to think about their plants on an ecosystem scale. And for that, they're reaching out to colleagues. We need a, another set of expertise. They do like a ecological level modeling. We have people, even at Oak Ridge, that are doing that. Even with Berkeley Lab, we, we had a workshop just before Christmas. A workshop about how to utilize plant biology to combat the climate crisis. Part of the equation that's been missing for research scientists like Zhao Han has been the technology to thoroughly assess their modified plants. My intention is to create a drought-resistant crop, right? How are you going to evaluate that? So far, our lab, even the whole Oak Ridge Plant Biology Group, we don't have the right expertise to do the whole set of assessment in a standard way. 
but companies are stepping in to fill this void. Zhao Han saw one present at a recent conference. They they have some like a phenotyping facility, very fancy, a lot of cameras. They do machine learning based on the imaging, right? It's not direct measurements, but I was very impressed by their claim. They have a lot of probes. Just go to like the hospital to monitor your like heartbeat and some other、uh, numbers. Probes above ground and below collect plant vital signs. They gather data on a plant's physiology, including how quickly water is evaporating from its leaves, and how fast its roots are uptaking water from the soil. These measurements help keep enthusiastic scientists grounded in data, because a scientist might say, "My、uh, genetic modified plants are great." But what's the evidence, right? Zhao Han wants to help the whole world through his research on plants, and one huge problem we're facing. Is how native forests and grasslands are being replaced by industrial agriculture. That's a practice that also releases greenhouse gases. For for us, they're invasive actually in terms of like environment. If you increase the efficiency of the ideal crops, then we can leave a lot of land area untouched for ecosystem service. My dream, like an ideal world, ideal、uh, society. Will not be invasive. Nature will be a friend of us. Zhao Han believes that making better plants, plants that can grow on drier, more arid land, produce biomass more efficiently, and store carbon more permanently, could make a more sustainable world. Are plants cool or what? This episode was directed and produced by me, Allison Takamura, with editorial and technical assistance from Massey Ballin, David Gilbert, and JGI's communication intern Ashley Papp. Genome Insider is a production of the Joint Genome Institute, a user facility of the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Science. JGI is located at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab in beautiful Berkeley, California. A huge thanks to Oak Ridge National Lab's Zhaohan Yang for sharing his research and vision of the future. And if you haven't heard it, check out Oak Ridge National Lab's podcast, "The Sound of Science." Hosts Jenny and Morgan do a wonderful job of humanizing ORNL science stories, which span plutonium-fueled space travel to a geneticist's passion for chocolate. If you enjoy Genome Insider and want to help others find us, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question or want to give us feedback, tweet us at JGI, or record a voice memo and email us at JGI-coms at lbl.gov. That's JGI-coms at lbl.gov. And because we're a user facility, if you're interested in partnering with us, we want to hear from you. We have projects in genome sequencing, synthesis, transcriptomics, metabolomics, and natural products in plants, fungi, algae, and microorganisms. If you want to collaborate, let us know. Find out more at jgi.doe.gov/user-programs. And if you're interested in hearing about cutting-edge research in secondary metabolites, 
also known as Natural Products, then check out JGI's other podcast, Natural Podcast. It's hosted by Dan Udwari and me. That's it for now. See you next time.